people will vote with their dollars. And we have direct access to the consumers to figure out, well, how could we improve it? So I'll give you an example. We entered the cracker category late last year, and I think we're on version 3.0. And the digital incubator affords you the luxury of iterating real time. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands, from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. I'm lucky to have Joe Enns on today. He is the CEO of High Key, and I'm super excited to talk about this brand because it is one of the first, at least that I've tasted, really great snack brands and cookie brands that have low sugar and actually are delicious. So welcome to the podcast, Joe. I'm really happy to have you. Oh, Chrissy, thanks for having us. You know, we always say that in food, it's always about the stuff. So I'm appreciative of your setup because if the stuff tastes like crap, you don't have much of a shot in this business. Exactly. And I think it's awesome what you guys are doing. And I can't wait to hear you tell everyone about it because I think this has been the goal of so many brands that have come before and done it in ways that have not been as good from that perspective. And that's why they're not around anymore. I'd love to hear you talk about, first of all, the brand and how it came to be and then how you're doing it. Yeah. So our mission is to drive sugar out of the American diet through snacks will drive over 10 million pounds of sugar out by 2025. And it started with AJ Patel, who's our co-founder. And he was about 30 years old at the time. In 2018, he kind of went on a low-carb, you know, taking sugar out diet and loves cookies, hated the way cookies tasted, uh, at least the ones that qualified for his new nutrition profile. Most 30-year-olds would say, well, I guess that's just the way it is. But AJ is a serial e-com entrepreneur. And he said, nonsense, I'm figuring this out. And he just went after it and eventually came across our other co-founder, John Gibb, who ran a manufacturer in the Pacific Northwest, but also a James Beard award-winning restaurant. And John said, dude, I could figure this out for you and did in a few short weeks and in early 2019, they launched what is this gorgeous little mini chocolate chip cookie that has no added sugar and one net carb. And it became the number one chocolate chip cookie on Amazon in very short order, like April of that year. And then AJ figured he Can had I ask some... you something about yeah, that. When you say number one, do you mean number one across the board? Like even the old school? Yeah, exactly. And, the the wow. number one chocolate chip cookie on Amazon in like four That's or amazing. five months. It's a amazing. bonkers that. So yeah, not number one better for you, which we are in, in retail. We haven't taken over Chips Ahoy in retail yet, but give us a couple of years. But AJ, you know, as a serial entrepreneur, he likes starting things. He doesn't like running things. He doesn't really have any retail background. So I was fortunate enough to come in the mix in month nine or so. And, and it's been a great run. You know, we've Validated online initially, then we validated at retail, and now we're in an ignite the firestorm stage. That's incredible. Incredible. And talk about how you got involved. Yeah. So I encountered John. So I spent over 20 years in a Fortune 200 food company. So I've always been a food marketer, but I've always kind of been this small company mindset guy, kind of trapped in a big company. Part of that's my background. I spent the you know front end of my career and the back end of my career running 
smaller independent subsidiaries within a big company. And so I was always that scrappy, not crappy leader and, and less about navigating organization as a core competence. And so I encountered John Gibb as I was transitioning to start a separate food business that I discovered in Australia when I lived there. And, you know, he reached out to me and said, hey, are you in the market? I'm like, yeah. It's like, we got to talk about this. And so just good circumstance. And then met AJ and we hit it off. And we have this gorgeous trifecta, the three of us. So I'm kind of the proverbial food guy, you know, retail experience, love building teams and helping individuals be better leaders themselves. AJ's our Elon Musk. He's the spark, right? He likes creating stuff. And John is the mad scientist, right? As it relates to the inventor. And so we've got this gorgeous little trifecta that works very elegantly. Cool. I have a question for you since you mentioned the biggest cookie brand on Amazon. Are you feeling like people completely understand the proposition? Do they know that it's really a low sugar cookie or are they, and does it even matter? I think it does matter because- You know, it's expensive to make a product like this. Two thirds of our ingredients are almond flour and natural sweeteners. And so I think you have to have the consumer. It's all about value, even in this inflationary time and, and the cloud of a possible recession. Value is not just price point. And so in order to kind of come into our proposition, I think you have to value the idea of, look, this is made with almond flour and it has no added sugar. And so, yeah, I I do think, you know, what's nice, though, when we talk to our consumers and we read our reviews, you know, their reaction is, this is as good a cookie as I've ever had. I'm just so grateful it has no sugar. Yeah, I would say the same thing. I mean, I do think it's a really good cookie. I was skeptical, I will tell you, because I've tried everything, too. I've tried all the keto products and the brownie bites and all that stuff. And, you know, there's a thing that it doesn't feel exactly right. And so I think the trade-off people make is I'm just not going to have anything like that ever. And then you, at one point you're like, I have to have everything like that. Right. <laughs> Cause you've been, yeah. you've been in denial for so long. So you talked about starting as an Amazon and an e-com brand. Can you talk about what your distribution is like right now and how you have gone about that? And do you want that to be part of your mix as much as e-com? Absolutely. Look, we're already a brick and mortar business. And what I mean by that is you know, our Amazon business is already sub 20% of our mix. You know, this whole, the, you know what's interesting about the food business is while e-com continues to be central to who we are, we're a digitally native brand. We mm-hmm. built our community through social and influencer and all of that work that led to a successful e-com business is what's leading to a successful retail business. The reality is 10% of food is bought on e-com, whether it be through retail.com or Amazon. If your mission is to take sugar out of the American diet, you have to be where people buy food. And that remains predominantly in brick and mortar. So where do you find us? We've had amazing retail partnerships, even in the midst of COVID, when Better For You brand distribution was slashed 10%. We were fortunate to penetrate just before that hit two or three key retailers, one national mass that really got behind us. And, you know, there was a six month period of time in the summer of 2020 through the end of that year where this national retailer, their better for you cookie set grew 41% when the rest of the country grew one. And we were 53% of that growth. 
So we've been able to show that we can drive categories. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we've just parlayed that, you know, through, through retail distribution. So you can find us at most major traditional retailers, both key mass retailers. Costco has been a wonderful partner. And of course, now we're also trying to penetrate more discovery channels, whether it be C-Store, airports and, and the like. Can you talk a little bit about what challenges come with this kind of a brand? Like, what do you feel like right now is your biggest challenge? Well, managing growth when you're growing at this rate, I think is always a balancing act. You know, where do you place your limited resources to get the most? There's just, there's always an opportunity to grow. So managing growth, I think holistically, if you peel that back, I think we're no different than everybody else. You know, retaining good talent right now is particularly challenging, especially in this hybrid remote world. You know, Mm -hmm. our head office is in Orlando and and we've got an amazing team, but, you know, making sure that we retain and keep and develop the talent, that's not unique to us, but it's certainly, we're not exempt from it. Mm-hmm. And what about innovation? Like, where do you guys go from cookies? I know you have some other products that you are making crackers and stuff. How's that going? Or is cookies your, your sort of biggest seller? Well, core to our model, I mean, cookies, you know, is our legacy platform Mm -hmm. for sure. We have this internal expression called digital incubation. And so we use our e-com capabilities to test and explore very quickly. And, you know, some people use the expression agile innovation. You know, we will whip something up, get a packaging together and put it on Amazon in weeks, not months. Uh, And certainly not years, which is the world I, you know, I came from. And the value of that model is you get transactional learning versus theoretical, you know, know, people will vote with their dollars and we have direct access to the consumers to figure out, well, how could we improve it? So I'll give you an example. We entered the cracker category late last year, and I think we're on version 3.0 and the digital incubator affords you the luxury of iterating real time with yes. no real consequence. As long yeah. as you're making progress, obviously you'd prefer not to go backwards, but you're doing it with consumer feedback. And so now we have a fantastic product. The first product was fine. It was good enough to put out there, but it was fine. Now it's a fantastic product and we've got great retailer partners taking it on. It's doing well on Amazon. So, And on the flip side of that, we've had several products where consumers said, yeah, no thanks, that sucks. And so we never bring them over to retail where you've got more risk, you've got more consequence of failure. Yes. And so you can fail fast. And one of our core mantras is make mistakes, learn and move on. And being a digital incubator affords us that luxury. I think that's interesting. I think failing fast is incredibly smart because we're all going to do it, right? It just, we all fail and we all learn and we all iterate, but if you can do it quickly, obviously that's a better business model because you learn from it and you get to a better place. But, you know, it's interesting about it. And, you know, I talk about this sometimes with my old colleagues in big companies. You know, we so we've got this infrastructure that gives us the mechanics to fail fast. But actually, it's culture that enables it. We give all new employees the book Mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck. And in that book, Dr. Dweck distinguishes the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. And there are, are several profound differences, but at the core, a growth mindset is somebody who sees failure as progress and is not scared of it. And that's why this notion of make mistakes, learn, and then move on is critical. And I think some companies, they espouse the desire for fail, you know, failing quickly, but especially in big career kind of companies, 
there's consequences to failure, both oh, real and perceived. And, and usually the perceived are greater than the real. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's possible for bigger companies to take it on, but it's more culture than it is the mechanics of, in our case, the digital incubator. So talk a little bit about culture, because you mentioned it a couple of times, and I think it's really important, especially what year did you guys start the brand? 20? Well, started in 18, but we really, you know, we kind of started building momentum in 19. Yeah. So you're a super young brand. Super young. Yes. And so talk about how important culture is and how, you know, I think the hiring, like the hiring process is already a nightmare at the moment. It's challenging. But if you also add on a layer of, I'm only going to have a certain kind of people working here because we need it right? Like you're talking about people who are willing to fail fast and are in a growth mindset. That must make it even harder to find the right people. I think that's probably true. I mean, we're blessed to have a wicked talented team and and the general DNA of those that come on and stay on are folks that love the pace. You know, one of our core principles is speed with rigor. It used to be move fast and break things, which is a classic Silicon Valley expression. And then we realized, you know what, we're breaking too many things. And so we kind of flipped it to speed with rigor. But for us, culture is everything. You know, we uh, we spend a lot of time on our core values. We do quarterly value events to kind of reinforce them. We also do biannual mission events around sugar. We just did one where everybody had to cut a key sugar item out of their diet for two weeks. And we all were reporting back on the consequences and specifically how much better we felt. And so we've got an amazing leader of people and talent and Liz Hyman, who it's her job and mission to strengthen and build this culture. And in a very short period of time, we've made a ton of progress. We can be better and we'll continue to be, but it was particularly hard to do in COVID when most oh of us God. were scattered. I imagine. Yeah. yeah. But we've kind of persevered and I'm excited to get to a hybrid world where we're together a little more often, but still not five days a week, of course. I think that's probably a thing of the past. It feels like it. It definitely feels like, it. but it's nice to be together now, sometimes even. I think uh, I, so you know, exciting, we, could, right? we could spend a whole hour on, you know, you know, the gains that come with remote are very obvious, right? We're all experiencing the flexibility. I think it will be a long time before we really understand what we've given up and what we've lost. And so I think we collectively as leaders have to thread the needle of keeping some of the gains, but then making sure we recapture what we've given up. And in some cases, especially among those who have just entered the workforce in the last couple of years, they may not actually appreciate the latter as much. And so we've got to make sure we restore that. Yeah, it's, I think it's going to be challenging because I do think there's a, a group of people who came into the workforce, you know, either right before COVID or during COVID that don't even know what it means at this point to be together and have the kind of collaboration and ideating and and connection that comes from that. And I agree with you. I hope we get to some hybrid because it is definitely, I don't think it's great for idea generating and team building. I mean, you can do it. And I admire that you guys did it because I found it very, very challenging during COVID to do that because there are people that are excited. And then there are people that are like, are we really going to stay on Zoom for yet another hour just so that we could pretend we're having a cocktail together, right? It was hard. So I, I think it's really cool that you guys are so committed to it because- it does matter. It makes yeah. better companies for sure. I think, I think I think we'll collectively land in an exciting spot, and and again, it ha- it'll be hopefully the best of both worlds. I'm curious to know how much of your mission to eliminate or decrease the amount of sugar Americans eat drives the kind of people that come to work with you. Like, is everyone really committed to that mission as well? 
Yeah, I think so. You know, we certainly don't have a requirement. For us, the choice to drive sugar out, we often say that it's a movement. This, this, It is. It's a seismic shift in the American diet that's been going on for the last five to 10 years. And it's unlike anything I have seen in my 25 years in the industry. But I always say it's not political, meaning we don't take ourselves too seriously, right? This is, We're a sassy brand. We're a little bit irreverent. And so, you know, we're, we don't expect people to come in and say, hey, you've got to be trimming your sugar out, you know, or you've got to be on a certain set of diet principles. But as people come on, and one of the reasons Liz does these mission drives like the one we just did is so people can personally experience the benefit that our consumers are experiencing mm -hmm. in the event that they haven't yet. So, yeah, for sure. I think people appreciate that, you know, when we're successful, we're doing good. You know, yeah. we're pulling yes. sugar out of the diet. That can only yeah. be a good thing. Yeah, that is a good thing. Can you talk about, I, I'm, this isn't, you're kind of unique as far as having been at really big companies and then gone to a startup and talk about what that's like, because I'm sure at this moment in time, there are so many people that are dying to do it, but terrified of what it could mean. Because there's a lot of risk also, right? For sure. Yeah. There was the, you know, my mom, when I was a kid, she had this, like my mom worked shift work at the airport. She, you know, education wasn't huge on our radar, but they, I remember there was this poster in our basement that was something around, it said, you know, the, the biggest risk in life is not taking one. Mm -hmm. Right. And the way I materialize that, at least for me is my absolute nightmare would be to kind of be at the end of my journey and wonder, have I maximized my potential? And so that was what it was all about for me is, you know, you know, I feel like I could do more than just continue to climb this corporate ladder, which I was reasonably talented at and made progress against. But it wasn't, you know, I, I likened it to a velvet coffin. It's very comfortable, but you yeah. die a little bit every day, at least for me. Oh, you <laughs> and do. So, you do. It's true. Do. And so it's I was like, you know, what? I'm going to I'm going to bet on myself. And so I did. And. And it took me a little while to find the right opportunity. You got to be patient with yourself, but at some point you got to bet and go for it. And so I'm, I was very fortunate to come into John and AJ situation where they needed what I could provide. And they understood that it would take me a little bit to kind of get my wrists in, you know, ready for this universe. But fortunately for me, I spent half of my career in these small independent subsidiaries. And so I didn't grow up just in a headquarter environment. And that actually was quite formative for me. Yeah. Interesting. I think it's, especially now, I think the corporate environments are probably harder to deal with than they even were before because for lots of reasons and not some of them good, the fun is not around anymore. There's just not as much lightness. So yeah. Yeah. I I, I, I'm sure that's true in some cases. What I, what I am reminded of in this experience and so grateful that I've had the chance to kind of straddle these two universes is it doesn't have to be the way you described it, in, in, nor does the risk profile need to be so conservative. And, and of course, that's what's so fun about this space is if you want to go in a certain direction, you go in a certain direction. If Liz wants to launch, you know, we mm -hmm. just launched two new benefits. One, build your own benefits. And each of our employees has the opportunity to choose from a long list of possibilities to use this said spending amount against the benefit. And if there's something on there that's not on the list that they're interested in, tell us and we'll probably put it on the list. And what a creative mm -hmm. way to create a, a new benefits program. And of course, it, there's nothing stopping a big company from doing that. It would just take months of conversations yeah. to do it. 
Right, Liz right. had the idea on a Tuesday. We implemented it a week later. So that's the strength and the glory of this universe. So you're making it sound fun and easy. What are the hard parts? Uh, gosh, <laughs> I'm, if I'm making it sound easy, then I'm a hypocrite. Well, you, you're not making it sound hard. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, so the flip side of all of that that I just mentioned is I've used this expression in the past. It's a little bit like a knife's edge, meaning every day when you're trying to balance cash balances and make sure that you've got enough capital to invest in the business when you need new sources of capital, that's something that is the exact opposite of my old world, right? You never, I mean, in a big company, you never worry about cash flow. And and so there are some existential elements that come with the day-to-day existence. So I think that's part of the heart, but that's, you know, it's thrilling and terrifying all in the same breath. You know, the highs are extraordinary, the lows are painful, but they usually wash out towards the positive. How do you kind of pick yourself up when you've got some lows that feel hard to overcome? I have a very disciplined routine in the morning and it serves me throughout my day. I have no technology that enters my kind of universe until after I've had breakfast with my family. It's a rule for me. Before I have breakfast with my family, I'll have worked out and meditated. And so I work very hard at getting grounded and kind of getting present for the day. And when things go upside down, that discipline usually serves me to keep it all in perspective. Not always. You know, I usually I get frazzled like everybody, but that discipline serves me well. Every day, huh? What time yeah. do you wake up? Well, I work backwards. If my daughter needs to go to school at 7.15, I work backwards okay. two hours. So then I get up at 5.15 and I start the routine. So it's always, you know, what's the starting point? I work backwards. That's incredible. That's discipline for sure. Yes. Well, it's a lot easier than see that is a lot easier than it sounds. That old adage, right? It takes two weeks to form a new habit. Yep. yep. Try something for two weeks and see how she feels. I bet you it feels great. That's why we did the sugar challenge for two yeah. weeks. And we're already hearing some people say, you know what? I actually decided to cut this out of my coffee because I didn't really need it. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So what about capital raising? You touched on it a little bit. Have you done it a bunch of times or where are you guys at with that? So we're very fortunate in that AJ has had, you know, we're well capitalized and we've kind of bootstrapped this for the most part. We had one institutional investor come on, but really we brought him on more for the value add that they create as opposed to the check, but they've been great, helpful on both fronts. But for the most part, it's been, you know, AJ has been a key investor and then, you know, so many others, myself included. So we've kind of bootstrapped this over the years and, you know, it'll be interesting as we get to the next phase of our growth to just, you know, identify what source of capital we need to, to find the next level. Yeah. Do you feel that you're going to have to do something if you want to scale quickly? Maybe. I mean, we've got a great margin profile, but, you know, I think you can never have too much cash in your balance sheet. So I think that's a question that we'll wrestle with. Cool. What's next for you guys then? Where do you want to see this brand in two years, five years? Well, look, our our five-year vision is to be the category leader in low-sugar snacking. There's a few elements of that. You know, the universe is so broad. But when we've made mistakes, our biggest mistake has been in the innovation incubation going too far. And and expanding, we've been in and out of categories that we probably shouldn't shouldn't have been. And so like what? Can you give an example? Yeah, we we had a breakfast cereal business for mm-hmm. for a day, mm-hmm. and frankly, it, we did very well with it on Amazon, and we even had a little bit of retail interest that we passed on because 
one of our adages is, you know, low carb sugar sucks comfort food as good as the original. The most important part of that is the back end. If yeah. it doesn't taste as good as the original, this brand's not going to be in it. And there are plenty of low carb, low sugar cereals out there that taste like crap. And they're they're doing very well. Yeah. And we were as well, but we thought we were compromising on as good as the original. So we got out of that business. So for us to be the category leader in low sugar snacking, we've got a lot more territory to hoe within cookies. We've got some amazing innovations coming up within the category, but there are other spaces we think we can take sugar out. We've got the number one chocolate cluster online. It's an amazing caramel and nut chocolate cluster with no sugar. And so there's some interesting spaces there that we'll explore. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That's so awesome. Any advice you want to give for people who are making a leap into either something like you did or just people who are starting these companies? Because, you know, there are a ton of companies that are starting now, right? It's easier in some ways, easier than ever to start your own brand because of the digital space. And because it's kind of common, there are lots of people who are helping with the manufacturing side and stuff like that. There are a lot of checks being written, but it's hard to make it, right? So you can do it. You can start, but how do you make it? So do you have advice for people who are thinking about jumping into the space? Like, what do they need to do? What do they need to stand for? Or do they need to stand for something? Well, I mean, I'll offer a couple of perspectives and it's worth what people are paying for, which is nothing. But so first, the thing or the stuff, you have to have something that is meaningfully differentiated or has a value proposition, right? And in food, it better taste good. You know, I, there's an expression I sometimes use. The graveyard at Expo West is littered with really good credential stuff that tastes like crap. Yep. So if you're thinking value proposition in food, it better taste good and don't accept that. Well, it's better for you. Nonsense. It, that's an old idea. Has to taste great. But beyond that, again, you have to be intellectually honest about, do I have something that has meaningful differentiation? If you've got that, then it comes back to place the bet. And I want to be clear, I don't fancy myself an entrepreneur. I think there's a subtle distinction between the person that has the guts to spark something versus the person like me who comes in and helps lead it and grow it. And there's a distinction. It's a wiring distinction. You know, Elon Musk didn't invent electric cars or rocket ships, but he just has that go for it gusto. Right. And that's that little edge that entrepreneurs have that I must admit I don't have, but I'm one step behind. I'm willing to kind of take the bet, leave a big, very comfortable gig and go do this. It's the same zip code, but it's a different gene. And so in either case, I would my perspective would be go for it, bet on yourself. And if you are a little uncomfortable, cover the bet. Like think about, you know, cover the downside and whatever that means for you as an individual, but there is going to come a time where you got to bet on yourself. Mm -hmm. I love it. And I think it's interesting because there is a distinction between being the entrepreneur and being the person who comes in and says, I know what to do with you and I know what to do with your brand. And I think most entrepreneurs need that and sometimes don't know they need it, right? Because entrepreneurs are, you know, they're making stuff all the time. It's not just once. Right. And get bored and want to do something else. And I think it's really interesting to think about. And I've talked about this with a lot of actual founders who know that there's a point in time when they can't do everything themselves and they need people who understand the business side or the distribution side or whatever the things are that are really important as you scale. Yeah, it's AJ's biggest strength, ironically, as somebody who's created and and scaled a lot of different businesses. His biggest strength is is he knows what he doesn't know. 
has no pride that gets in the way. And because he is a, let's just do it on a whim's notice, as soon as he realized in this particular instance, holy cow, I've got something here, but it's only going to be successful in retail, which I know nothing about. And I really don't want to build up a team. He hired me way before anybody would have said, you should bring this cat on. That's AJ. And again, he knew what he didn't know. And I think, you know, so I think you're right. There is a moment in time and I suspect, I can't confirm this, but I wouldn't be surprised if some entrepreneurs wait a little too long. Too long. Definitely. Definitely. Because you don't know what you don't know. And a lot of people are embarrassed to say what they don't know because you feel like you should know everything. But I mean, none of us know everything, right? Yeah. And that's why I'm always quick. When someone refers to me as a founder, I grab that quickly. I say, no, no, no. Don't disrespect what AJ and John are by calling me that. I haven't done that. And that's different. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Anything else you want to mention before we wrap up? This has been awesome. And I think interesting because you're coming at it from a different perspective. And I love that. And I think even if it's a bunch of founders listening, it's important to know that there's a point in time where you have to take another step. Yeah, you know, we're early days in our journey. We've made more mistakes than we've had successes, but fortunately our successes have been pretty meaningful. So I can't wait to see what the next couple of years hold. Me too. Well, I wish you guys all the best of luck. I think that you have great brand, really yummy product that solves a real need, which is what you talked about. It's important that it differentiates and also solves a consumer need, which there is plenty of right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Christy. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, that's awesome. That was great. Thank you, Joe. That's so much fun to talk about it from a different perspective because I don't often do that. And I think it's really important because I think there is a point in time where you're at the end of your ability to do something because you don't know things. And so smart decision for AJ, actually. Yeah. You know, I literally this morning when I had my gratitude meditation, you know, there's a moment where you go, well, who are you grateful for? And this morning, the first one that arose was AJ. And that, you know, AJ and I, we are quite different. And so by definition, there's very productive tension there. There has to be. But the gratitude for me there shows up because it gave me the opportunity to, to partner with him. So yeah, that's so cool. What are you guys doing from a marketing perspective? Most of our efforts are on social, digital, and in-store. Yeah. We did, you know, we initially had a partnership with Maximum Effort, which is Ryan Reynolds uh, agency, Ryan's investor. And we did that too early. So, you know, it really didn't translate, but that was because, you know, you you could only find us on e-com. And so, frankly, point of purchase is where we spend a good deal of our focus. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, if there's anything we can do to help, obviously, I would love to work with you guys. I'm very much interested in the same thing you are. I love this whole low sugar thing, and I think it's super, super important. So I don't know if there's anything you guys could want to do or want to do a little strategy workshop. I'd love to do that with you. We've taken a lot of brands to retail, helped a lot of brands get funded. So that's sort of our sweet spot. I appreciate it. No, I'll do your note it for sure. Okay, cool. So when this is done, I'll send it to you and make sure that you get it. And I'll let you know when I'm going to post it. Great. Look forward to it. And I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Thank you so much. Have a good weekend. Thanks. You too. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday.